If asking your mate down the pub about vaping, here's what they'd probably say. No one agrees if it's safer or not, so you might as well smoke anyway. Now what your mate needs is a Cochrane review. All the facts have been checked at least twice. They'd find there's a lot that the experts agree on and might give you different advice. Jamie. And I'm Nicola. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Let's Talk E-Cigarettes. So back in 2018, Nicola and I applied to Cancer Research UK for funding to support our work on e-cigarettes. It was 2018, the world wasn't in lockdown and everything felt like it was full of possibilities. So as part of that grant application, we proposed doing a podcast for people interested in e-cigarette research. Now here we are, two years later, in a slightly different setting than perhaps we'd originally imagined, but still trying to make this podcast work. So I'm talking to you from my kitchen in Oxford with a sleeping black Labrador at my feet. Uh, he's still only a puppy and not always the best behaved, so fingers crossed he'll stay asleep for our first episode. And I'm speaking to you from my living room with a fluffy little cockapoo at my feet who is wide awake. So we're hoping that there's not going to be much barking involved in this first episode. The cockapoo seems to respond particularly to my voice, so there may well be a little bit of barking going on. Um, so really what this podcast is here for is to tell you a bit about e-cigarettes and the reason that we're doing this is because Nicola and I both do research on e-cigarettes at the University of Oxford and we do this as part of the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group. So just to give you a bit of background, Cochrane is a global non-profit organisation that exists to help people make healthcare decisions and we do this by carrying out systematic reviews of the research literature. That means we identify and bring together all relevant studies in an area to find out how well something works, whether it causes any harms and how certain we can be of the findings. So Cochrane Reviews are enormous documents and quite large undertakings and they often feel like they're never finished because we update them relatively frequently. So we actually first published our Cochrane Review of Electronic Cigarettes for Quitting Smoking back in 2014. And we published an update this October. So in this October's update, we found 50 studies. Um, and I'll quickly let you know what we found, uh, just to give some context. So in our October update, we found evidence that nicotine e-cigarettes probably do help people to stop smoking for at least six months. And that to do this, they probably work better than nicotine replacement therapy and then nicotine-free e-cigarettes. We also found they may work better than no support or behavioral support alone, and that they may not be associated with serious unwanted effects. However, it was really clear, and this is a common refrain you hear in e-cigarettes research, that we need more reliable evidence in order to be confident about the effects of e-cigarettes. And that is particularly the case for the effects of newer types of e-cigarettes that have better nicotine delivery, and also in terms of their long-term effects. So, for that reason, for the next couple of years, we're going to be searching for new studies for this review monthly and updating the review whenever we find new studies that might change our conclusions. And we're doing this with support from Cancer Research UK. This kind of continually updating review is a lot of work and is called a living systematic review. So we chose to do a living systematic review on this subject in particular because of ongoing controversy about the public health impact of e-cigarettes. 
and it's really important that decision makers have the most up-to-date evidence to hand. In our review, we look at the use of e-cigarettes to help people who smoke to stop using cigarettes. And in this podcast, we'll first quickly summarise the new studies that we found in our most recent monthly searches, and then we'll then pick an important new study to look into in more detail. So a deep dive into that study, as it were. We'll summarise the new studies we found in our searches this month, which were carried out on the 1st of December. We'll do this briefly. So you might say in a nutshell. So this month we found 11 ongoing studies, which are studies being carried out that don't have results yet. We found nine new papers reporting on studies that are already included in our review. So these were studies that we already knew about. And we also found three brand new included studies, and we'll incorporate those studies in the next update of our review. So Jamie and I are now going to give some information on each of these, and you can also find links to those studies in the description of this month's podcast. So amazing, Nicola. Just first off to say how exciting it is to see 11 new ongoing studies. I've obviously been looking at the research in this field for quite a while. And by contrast, between 2014 and 2016, we only saw 14 new included studies. Now we're seeing 11 over a period of 10 months. So that's great and suggests that we are going to be getting more research in this area to put into our review, which is exactly what we need. Definitely. So of those three new studies we found, the first one was study was published in the journal Nicotine and Tobacco Research, and it was a study led by Choli and colleagues. Choli spelled C-Z-O-L-I. It was a Canadian study with 48 participants, and it was funded by the Ontario Ministry of Health and also by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, so basically by government agencies. And that's important. We always want to look and see where studies are funded from, and we tend to trust those funded by the government or healthcare organizations more than we might trust those funded by, for example, the tobacco industry or the e-cigarette industry. So this Canadian study had 48 participants and it looked at relatively short outcomes. It was primarily interested in the phenomenon of dual use, which means smoking and using an e-cigarettes at the same time. They used a crossover design. So that means rather than like in a randomized controlled trial, having let's say two groups of people and assigning them to e-cigarettes or not to e-cigarettes, all participants experienced each of the conditions in this study. So all participants spent a week using both e-cigarettes and smoking, dual using as it were, a week using just e-cigarettes, a week just smoking, and a week using neither device. And in this study, they measured product use, so how many e-cigarettes people used, how many cigarettes people smoked during these periods, and also what they call biomarkers of exposure. So those basically measure exposure to things that aren't very good for you. And in this case, that includes carbon monoxide and various other toxins. And you'll have to bear with me uh, as I try to pronounce some of these toxins when I tell you about what they found. So they found that levels of biomarkers of exposure to toxicants, including carbon monoxide, one hydroxypyrene, and four methylnitrosamino-1,3-pyridyl-1-butanol, which its snappier name is NNAL, were significantly lower when participants exclusively vaped compared to when they were dual using, so when they were vaping and using cigarettes. And as you would expect, they also found that toxin levels were lower in people who weren't vaping or smoking compared to people vaping and smoking at the same time. Now, interestingly, they also found that levels of toxins were higher when people were only using cigarettes compared to when they were smoking and using e-cigarettes, so compared to dual using. 
And the reason why that's interesting is it doesn't really support some commonly voiced concerns we hear about possible harms of dual use increasing toxin exposure compared to just smoking. Great, thank you, uh, Jamie. And what our poor listeners are missing out on is how Jamie's eyebrows waggle up and down when she tries to pronounce <laughs> the name of those biomarkers, which I'm very much enjoying. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to, I'm glad you are. <laughs> I have to think of a video format next time. I think. <laughs> Um, so the new included study that I had a look at is called the Quitnik study and was also published in the Journal of Nicotine and Tobacco Research. It was carried out by researchers at the University of Newcastle in Australia and led by Professor Billy Benevsky. And it was funded by the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation, which receives its funding from the government. So this one was actually a feasibility trial. So the aim of the feasibility trial is generally to test whether the trial or the treatments given in the trial can be carried out on a practical level and to see whether it will actually be possible to carry out a larger trial. Um, and the reason for this is that it can avoid wasting a lot of time and resource, which might happen if you immediately carry out a larger trial and you find that things don't work out as you expected. Therefore, these trials often have shorter follow-ups and less participants than full-scale trials. And this means we do need to be a bit more careful about how we draw our conclusions from them than larger long-term trials. So the Quitnik trial included 100 people who smoked, who were recruited from a residential drug and alcohol withdrawal service, where the average length of stay is eight days. The site is a smoke-free site and all the clients are offered nicotine replacement therapy as standard during their stay. So the 100 people who were taking part in this study were randomly assigned to two treatment groups. One of the groups were given 12 weeks worth of nicotine replacement therapy, including patches and oral forms of nicotine replacement therapy, such as gum following discharge from the clinic. And the second group were provided with an electronic cigarette starter kit, which included the Innokin Endura T22 device, which has a 1.5 ohm atomizer and a 4.5 milliliter tank, and they were also provided with a 12-week supply of unflavoured nicotine e-liquid. And then both of the groups actually received telephone-based quitline support. So at their 12-week follow-up, they didn't find a significant difference in quit rates between the two groups. However, we do need to be very careful about how we interpret this result due to the small number of participants. And actually, we won't be including this in our meta-analysis of smoking cessation results because in our meta-analysis, we only include results that result from a six-month or more follow-up. And because this was a shorter-length study, um, we won't be including it. And we're hoping to maybe in a future podcast explain a bit about our reasoning behind that. In terms of um, potential harmful effects of the treatments, that is something that we'll be looking at in our review. And what this study found was that there were no adverse events or serious adverse events which were classified as probably or definitely caused by any of the study products. So that was both the nicotine replacement therapy and the electronic cigarettes. Great. Thanks, Nicola. I am looking forward to incorporating that study into our main review and also hopefully to seeing that study progress to a full trial at some point. And now we've mentioned there are three studies. You've heard about two of them, but for the third one, you'll have to hang on until the next section to hear about it. So you'll have to hang on until our deep dive. This bit was pre-recorded at an earlier date.
as we mentioned earlier, each episode we're going to select at least one study from the eligible studies identified from the most recent literature searches to take a closer look at. So for this month's deep dive, we've chosen to focus on a new randomised controlled trial led by Professor Mark Eisenberg at McGill University in Canada and published in JAMA in November. So I was lucky enough to speak to Professor Mark Eisenberg, lead of this trial, about this earlier this month. It was the first time I'd ever been the interviewer on a podcast as opposed to the person being interviewed. So it was a new experience and I am super grateful to Professor Eisenberg who gave us such useful insights. So to start off with, we'll let Professor Eisenberg tell you a bit about his background and how he came to lead this trial. Uh, My name is Mark Eisenberg. I'm a, a professor of medicine at McGill University, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I'm also a uh, cardiologist at the Jewish General Hospital in uh, at McGill. Uh, so as I say, I'm a and I'm a cardiologist, and um, I'm an interventional cardiologist. So I do um, angioplasty to open up arteries for people that are having heart attacks. And I noticed uh, years ago that a lot, a lot of the uh, the patients that that I that had heart attacks, you know, we give them a routine set of uh, of medications. We give them aspirin. We give them uh, uh, a statin for their cholesterol. We give them a beta blocker, an ACE inhibitor, and uh, we give them an antiplatelet agent. And I thought, you know, a lot of my patients, at least a quarter of them, are active smokers. And if I could give them a pill at the same time when they came in hospital that would get them to stop smoking. Uh, I would do as much good as, you know, giving them an aspirin or a uh, cholesterol medication. So I, uh, I started getting interested in smoking cessation. I did a series of trials in, uh, in patients that had heart attacks, starting them with a medication in hospital to see if I could get them to stop smoking. So I did a trial with, um, with bupropion, another trial with veriniclin. And then, uh, you know, uh, during the veriniclin trial, uh, that's when the e-cigarettes started to come out. And I thought, wow, this is... Uh, you know, potential sea change for smoking cessation because I had uh, a number of patients came to me and said, you know, I've tried everything for smoking cessation, nothing worked. And then I picked up an e-cigarette and I never smoked again. So I said, uh, you know, I think this would be something that we should study for smoking cessation. Does it work? Is it safe? And so we put in a grant application to the Canadian Institutes of Health Research uh, years ago. And when we, we first sent it in, it got rejected. They said, what's an e-cigarette? Nobody smokes anymore. This is not important. What is this? And then uh, e-cigarettes were in the newspaper, on the media, you know, every day for a year. We resubmitted our application. I think, I can't remember, we were first among six, 63 applications because, you know, the importance of it was recognized because everybody was using them and nothing was really known about them. So, so that was the background for our trial. So I hope you enjoy that. I love hearing about how people get involved in this line of research. Yeah, and I think what Professor Eisenberg is saying is something that we hear a lot from people, that the drive for doing research in this area often comes from people who have switched from smoking to using e-cigarettes. And that's then spurring researchers in the community to pursue that as an area of study. You're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons why I really like doing research in this area. It feels quite different um, from research in pharmacotherapies, where often it's driven by a company. Here, actually, what we're seeing is a whole research movement that's in quite a considerable way being driven by the people who the research then affects. So 
When I was talking to Professor Eisenberg, he went on to talk a bit about the design of his study and what he found and what he thought were the most important take-home messages from that. So I'm going to let him tell you a bit about that as well. Well, first of all, this study, uh, as opposed to, uh, to our previous studies, was done in, um, in uh, not in patients. They were just um, uh, regular smokers in the community, and um, they were recruited, uh, you know, by word of mouth, by social media, by flyers, and um, we randomized them to three different groups: to e-cigarettes with nicotine, identical e-cigarettes without nicotine, or to counseling. Uh, all three groups got counseling, but the counseling, uh, counseling alone arm, uh, you know, only had counseling. And uh, what we, the intention was to, this was done at 17 sites in Canada, across Canada, and the, the intention was to look at smoking cessation at one year. We gave them e-cigarettes only for, only for three months, or for 12 weeks. So the idea was short-term use of e-cigarettes, would this lead to smoking cessation at one year? Uh, but we got most of the way through the trial and uh, we had difficulty obtaining uh, the final supply of e-cigarettes and ultimately we had to stop enrollment early. And so in you know, conjunction with the Data and Safety Monitoring Board, uh, we changed the, uh, the primary endpoint from smoking cessation at one year to smoking cessation rates at 12 weeks when, uh, you know, at, at the, just at the time before, uh, before the participants stopped their e-cigarettes. So what we found was that uh, if you got an e-cigarette with nicotine, uh, you you little over doubled your quit rate at 12 weeks compared to counseling alone, and that there was a there was a there was a high rate of quit rates even among people that got e-cigarettes without nicotine. Didn't reach statistical significance at 12 weeks, but it was it was uh, you know more than counseling alone. Now these uh, you know these results we 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 just recently reported these results in the journal American Medical Association uh, with a six month follow up and the uh, e cigarette quit rates were no longer significant at six months and surprisingly the e cigarette quit rates without nicotine were were uh, significant at, at six months so uh, you know I, I think that um, you know because we started the trial early we only had about three quarters of the uh, the participants enrolled that we wanted to. Uh, I, I don't think we really had the power to look at uh, at the six month results, but I think the uh, the results show pretty clearly that if you are you are uh, smoking an e cigarette with nicotine while you're actively using it, uh, you have a higher quit rate than if than if you didn't, and uh, it also showed that uh, that if you were still smoking but using an e cigarette with nicotine you substantially reduce the number of cigarettes you were smoking a day, conventional cigarettes, okay? Now, I should say that the quit rates among those, uh, those subjects who, who got counseling alone were, was a little under 10%, and the quit rates among those who got e-cigarettes with nicotine in 12 weeks was a little over 20%. So it doubled quit rates, but it was only from about 10 to 20%. And that's uh, somewhat similar to what we see with other... Uh, therapies like uh, bupropion, varenicline, uh, they double quit rates, but still the vast majority of smokers are still smoking. Um, okay, so this is not a magic bullet for smoking cessation. Uh, on the other hand, it, uh, it does appear that, that for, for certain individuals who have tried other, you know, other therapies and have been unsuccessful at smoking, smoking cessation, that e-cigarettes do work. should say that uh, 
uh, I think 90% of our participants had previously tried to quit several times, at least several times, and 80% of them had used other smoking cessation therapies before. These were people that had uh, smoked for, I think, uh, about 35 years on average and were smoking about a pack a day, uh, uh, you know, on average. So there were confirmed smokers who had tr previously tried to quit, and we were able to show double quit rates compared to counseling alone. So those were the primary, primary results. That's really great to hear those results summed up in that way by the person who actually carried out the study. And one thing that struck me from what he said is that only 20% of people quit in the most successful arm of the study. So that's really telling us that e-cigarettes still aren't a magic bullet. So what do you think that actually means for people trying to quit, Jamie? I think that's a really good point, Nicola. I think within the field of smoking cessation research, that's a quit rate we're kind of excited to see, right? But relative to some treatments or some other areas of research, it seems like, well, only 20% of people successfully quit. Surely we could do better. And unfortunately, the reality is that though most people who smoke do want to quit, it can be really, really hard to do so. And as Professor Eisenberg mentions, a lot of people make lots of attempts before being successful. So when we're looking at the success rates in a study of this type, what we're looking at is the success rates of one attempt to quit smoking, not whether or not that person will succeed eventually. And so I think it's important that people who want to quit smoking know that this is the case, they shouldn't be discouraged. Many people need to try to quit multiple times but end up being successful. And even when we look at kind of the main frontline smoking cessation medications such as nicotine replacement therapy or varenicline, you still get relatively low quit rates even in populations who are really motivated to quit smoking. And that doesn't mean these medications don't work. Smoking is uniquely deadly, it kills one in two regular people smokers. So it's super important that anything that increases quit rates is available. But what these low quit rates mean overall is how much we still need more research on how to best support people in quitting. Absolutely. And that's why we're really excited to see this trial. Still, though, because of issues with conducting it, it can't give us definitive results on those long term smoking cessation rates. So it does feel like there are a lot of hurdles to conducting research in this area. What do you think, Jamie? I think there absolutely are. I mean, it's not easy to set up a trial in any area, but I think there are some particular challenges when it comes to e-cigarettes. And as I've been reviewing the research in this field uh, for six years now, I am always struck by essentially how long it takes to get these things off the ground, but also the evidence is coming. Um, and it's always quite, I suppose, reassuring and exciting to see new trials coming out. And I wish they could come out a bit quicker. So I asked Professor Eisenberg to talk a bit about this. Um, and what you'll hear next is that he had quite an interesting take on some of the unique challenges around doing research with e-cigarettes. And I think some of those are driven by geographical context. And as we know, different countries have very different regulatory environments um, and public health messaging when it comes to e-cigarettes. So. I'll let you guys listen to what he had to say about that. Yeah, well, you know, look, it, it's it's shocking, really, how little research has been done into e-cigarettes, considering how commonly used they are, you know, in, in North America and Europe, across the world. Uh, and a large part of this is because they're, uh, the e-cigarette companies have not sought approval, regulatory approval, to use them for smoking cessation. And, and 
So individuals pick them up in order to use them for smoking cessation, but the companies never claim they're for smoking cessation. They claim that they are alternative methods of obtaining your nicotine. Um, and, and there's no reason for them to support research either financially or to even provide e-cigarettes for the, for the research because they're, you know, they're selling, you know, millions and millions and millions of, of e-cigarettes. So there's really very little, um, uh, you know, uh, incentive for them to do that. At the same time, I, I think that um, the, particularly in the U.S., there's, there's been a, a reluctance to examine e-cigarettes for smoking cessation. And so there's been really a dearth of, of trials in this area. When you can, when you compare it to, you know, in cardiology, when you compare it to large cardiology trials that are driven by, by pharma, you know, with tens of thousands of subjects and, and there's, you know, there's many, many trials coming out all the time. And you look and there's only been a, really a handful of, of uh, well-conducted clinical trials with these cigarettes. And, and, you know, we have a, you know, one of the issues I think with e-cigarettes is it's a device, not just a drug. And whenever you use the device, they're always criticized saying, well, you used an old model. There's a different model. It's not generalizable. It's not, you know, it's not commercially available or it was commercially available, but now everybody's using Juul. And so, how you know, uh, so you, you're never going to be able, you know, it takes, takes years to do these trials from the time that you conceive of the idea to actually get funding to get regulatory approval to do it. So the, by, the, by the time you actually publish it, you know, that device is no longer being used and, and you can be criticized on those grounds. So I think it's a very, very difficult area to, uh, to do research in. So the interesting thing is that despite this being such a difficult area in which to do research, I think there is really wide consensus that it's so important to have more studies and more data in this Absolutely. Area. I mean, I think those familiar with research in this field know that there is a whole lot to disagree about when it comes to e-cigarettes. But what I think everyone agrees on is that more research is needed. So even if you read systematic reviews or articles that find opposing things when it comes to e-cigarettes, they almost all end with directions for further research. So that actually brings me nicely onto the next question I asked Professor Eisenberg, which is really thinking about, okay, if these hurdles weren't in place, if we could do what we wanted around e-cigarette research, what research does he think should be done next on the back of his study? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I, first of all, I think that we need many more studies on e-cigarettes. You know, my you know my father was a doctor. I remember when I was in medical school, I read a, an article in the New England Journal about some new drug, and I said, I think you should put all your patients on this drug. He said, I like to see ten different studies in ten different patient populations with long-term follow-up before I start switching my patients. And I think it's the same thing with e-cigarettes. I mean, we really need to have multiple different studies using different devices in different uh, populations for with longer-term follow-up you know, close look, look at safety, uh, different comparators. Um, I think that, you know, our study was really very particular in that we, we were only giving the e-cigarettes for 12 weeks and then looking to see uh, with the impact on longer term quit rates. And I think that's, that's probably, you know, not, it's an incomplete snapshot because most individuals who pick up e-cigarettes use them for a long time. They use them for, for years some of them never stop, which I, you know, I don't think is a good idea. I think, uh, you know, they should be used as a, if they're, if they're used for smoking cessation, they should be used as a bridge to quitting altogether. Um, but if we were to look at, at using e-cigarettes for a year, for example, 
I think we would expect to see quit rates higher than, than what we saw. Like to give short-term use of e-cigarettes and then withdraw them and look at longer-term quit rates uh, is, is probably not giving the, the, um, you know, the device a fair shake. So I would like to see, I would like to see uh, different devices, different, uh, different populations, but, but longer-term use. Perhaps also using using combination therapy, and I, and we did, we did, we haven't seen this even in other smoking cessation trials. All the varenicline trials were varenicline versus placebo. The you know bupropion trials, bupropion versus placebo, nicotine patch versus placebo. There were only a handful of uh, uh, of trials. Um, one of which you know I think was you know perhaps the best trial you know ever done was the Eagles trial where they they finally did you know varenicline versus bupropion versus patch versus placebo. In, in 8,000 subjects. So, uh, you know, a head-to-head trial or head-to-head-to-head trial, I think is, you know, is ideal um, in placebo-controlled, uh, but, but you know, you need, you know, major, major funding to do those kinds of uh, trials. You have to have buy-in from lots of different organizations. I mean, it's very difficult even to get regulatory approval, even to do, in Canada, do, you know, we had to get uh, approval from Health Canada to, to, to do this trial. It took almost a year to get approval to do it. So a lot of hurdles. So basically what he's saying is we need the Eagles trial, but with e-cigarettes rolled in. But until we get that trial, do we think that smaller studies can tell us anything? Yes, absolutely. So it can be really hard to run huge studies. They're incredibly time and resource intensive. And smaller studies not only can be useful in their own right, but from our perspective, as people who bring all the evidence together, getting more studies is super important because it feeds into our meta-analysis. So that's where we combine the results from across studies. And the more information we have in there, the more studies we have in there, even if individually the studies are small and don't find an effect, the more they help us understand how certain we can be about the effectiveness and safety of e-cigarettes for helping people quit smoking. So I think that just leaves it with me to say thanks so much, everyone, for listening and follow the link on our podcast page to see the latest on our Cochrane Review of Electronic Cigarettes for Smoking Cessation. Depending on how our dogs, children, and the global situation in the world proceeds, we're hoping to post these podcasts approximately monthly from here on in. So please subscribe if you want to be alerted to the next one. In the meantime, we'll be incorporating findings from the study into our Cochrane Review and hoping to have an update out this spring. And we'll leave you with these closing words from Professor Eisenberg. We don't have long-term studies, but but most authorities would agree that they, they are much, much safer than conventional cigarettes. If you have a choice, your only choice is between smoking a conventional cigarette and e-cigarette, I think you're much better off smoking an e-cigarette. But we clearly need large safety studies, and even those those have not been done, right? So So... I mean, this this area is begging to be studied. Uh, so really, I think, uh, you know, and, and it's really, it's got to be supported by uh, um, funding agencies like the Canadian Institute of Health Research or NIH, because the industry is just not going to do it. They, they have no incentive to do it. And and even even if industry were to do it, they're, they're considered to be tainted, right? It's like you can't accept money from uh, from a tobacco company to do, to do cigarette research. Well, e-cigarette companies are sort of the same, so we really would would prefer to to be at arm's length and maybe use use their devices. You know, we purchased we purchased our e-cigarettes, but all the funding came from the uh, the Canadian government. So I think that's probably the the right way to do it. 
So thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Let's Talk E-Cigarettes. You've been listening to Nicola Linson and Jamie Hartman Boyce, with thanks to our guest this month, Professor Mark Eisenberg. The music you heard is performed by Johnny Berlinger, and it was co-written by myself and Johnny a couple years ago to perform on the streets of Oxford. We'd also like to thank Jonathan Livingston Banks for running our monthly searches, Elsa Butler for editing this podcast, and to all of our brilliant Cochrane co-authors for helping us sift through and interpret the literature, which is no small task. This podcast is made possible through funding from Cancer Research UK and through core infrastructure funding to the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group from the National Institute for Health Research. The views expressed are those of Nicola and I and not necessarily those of the National Institute for Health Research or the Department of Health and Social Care. Switching to vaping is safer than smoking May help you quit in the end But remember to mention the findings we have Can't tell us what'll happen long term Even though we know vaping is safer than smoking We may still find cause for concern If you're thinking of switching to vaping Do it! That's what the experts agree Vaping beats burning, there's much to learn Of effects long term yet to be seen